Uh, okay, Proverbs. We're back in Proverbs looking at practical topics and I have to confess I'm still trying to hone how to do this exactly, pulling things together. I've tried to pick some clumps so that we can kind of like not be turning pages constantly. And so we're going to start in Proverbs chapter 18. Our theme this evening is speaking and listening. Speaking and listening. And uh, as I mentioned this morning, this is after wisdom, words are the second most prevalent topic discussed in the book of Proverbs, okay? Uh, it's, a, it's a big topic. And so um, either, uh, uh, either I will return to this or someone else will return to it next week or both because um, there's a lot to say about it. But at this point, we're going to kind of start with the, a little bit bigger picture. Uh, and just to get, get things going... Can you think of some Proverbs, not necessarily from the Bible, but some Proverbs about words or speaking? And is that Abraham Lincoln? Okay. I believe everything I read on the internet, so. Yeah, Jan. Children should be seen and not heard. Yes, I have heard that one. Yeah, uh, Craig. Is that, and that's Teddy Roosevelt, right? Multiple presidents. There we go. Uh, speak softly, carry a big stick. Any other ones? And that's Bambi's mother? Thumper, that's right. Can't say anything nice. Don't say anything at all. Yeah. Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Let's land there for a second. Uh, is that true? Show of hands. Who, who says that is inaccurate? Where in the world did that proverb come from? Most Proverbs that we pass on, there's like a seed of received wisdom that gets passed on from generation to generation. I have no idea, like in the history of things, where did that Proverb come from? Because it's certain. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't quite seem to be true, does it? We're going to look here now first at Proverbs uh, chapter 18 and look at verses 20 and 21. That's on page 642. And uh, again, because we're jumping around, it's a little bit odd, but I'll read these two Proverbs and then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll chew on them. Uh, Proverbs 18, 20, and 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's pray. Lord, uh, our words, as you say, have the power of death and life. We use words cheaply. Uh, and quickly, rashly, we ask that as we study your word tonight, you would train us to be thoughtful in our words, to be careful, to guard our mouths. May we speak as you speak, words of life. Amen. Okay, so the playground parable is sticks and stones. No, not parable. What are we studying? Proverbs. The playground <laughs> proverb, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But what does Proverbs say? Uh, 1821, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's the first thing I want to talk about or reflect together on for a minute is the power of words. And just to warn you, uh, I intentionally scaled back. I think last time we went all the way till six and I, uh, uh, when you read enough Proverbs saying, let your words be few, I thought, okay, let my words be few. I'll scale it back a little bit. So hopefully we'll be closer to 20 minutes tonight that, uh, and then more time for prayer. But uh, uh, just a heads up. Uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words have power. Uh, 
It's the first lesson that Proverbs draws our attention to. Words literally have the power of death. Words have started fights. Words start wars. Okay? But even more than that, words can wound. Words can wound. If we jump over to our next clump, it's in Proverbs chapter 12, uh, 12, 18. And if this jumping around gets too laborious, tell me and I'll just start printing them off and, and doing that. But I'm trying my best to avoid printing off slips of Proverbs, but uh, uh, I, I do welcome feedback. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Okay, rash words are like sword jabs. They wound. Uh, and even more than uh, we can enrich it, probably most points from Scripture can be illustrated either from John Bunyan or the Lord of the Rings. And for this one, the Lord of the Rings, remember on Weathertop when Frodo gets stabbed by the, the uh, Black Rider's dagger? And it's a Mordor dagger, right? And so what does it do? Does it, I, I see Austin remembers, Nate remembers. What is, what, what's the effect of the Mordor dagger? It's poisoned. That's right. And the poison, it's got to be drawn out. Uh, it, it, it's stuck there. And that's what words that wound are like. Not just like sword thrusts, but like poison. You can pull a sword out, and all things being equal, presumably, hopefully, the wound will heal. Um, but, you know, another proverb that's only somewhat true, time heals all things, that's not necessarily true with words that wound. Words that wound can fester and rot. Maybe you remember words that wound. I remember one time uh, I was about 18 and at community college and a friend, well, acquaintance, someone I knew, he was taking intro to philosophy and I asked him what it was about. He said, oh, I can't explain it to you. You wouldn't understand. And just kind of wrote me off. Someone would be like that. And I'm sure you guys can think of times when people have said words, uh, you know, rash words, passing comments that wound. You, if you call a child stupid or worthless, it can mark their entire lives. Okay? Rash words are like sword thrusts like getting stabbed. Thoughts on that? Do you have words you regret? Or, sorry, I'm asking this question wrong. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and I kind of asked my question wrong. That was my next question, is what kinds of things we regret? And I think words are the things we most regret. Uh, some of the things we most regret that we wish we could take back. Um, when my great-grandmother died, I inherited a little bit of money from her. And uh, I was maybe 12 or so. And so um, uh, some of the money went into a CD, some we put in a mutual fund, and then some just kind of as a learning thing, we, uh, my dad helped me invest in stock. And we invested it in MCI WorldCom, which probably you got to be a little bit older to even know. But it's one of these companies in the tech bubble. It burst, and then you know the... the um, uh, uh, board of directors got charged with crimes, all sorts of things, and the money just became worthless. And, you know, I'd check weekly in the, in the newspaper, the little stock line, and it got to the point where all the stock, you know, maybe it was two or $3,000, and you would have had to cut a penny in half to pay out the stock by the end of it. And, and you know, yeah, should I have invested in something else? Yeah, that would have been nice. But I don't really have regrets over that, but things I've said 
like Chris says, 70 years later, uh, you say things and you wish you could take them back. Uh, Proverbs 11, 11 through 13 kind of gets at this point here. Um, uh, page over. Uh, 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 11, 11 through 13. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Okay? Uh, speaking words of blessing lifts up and it builds up a city. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Okay, wicked words can overthrow a city. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Okay, insulting, rude words towards your neighbor lacks sense. But a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Um, uh, one of the commentaries tells a, a story from the rabbis that uh, someone came to a rabbi and said, um, uh, I have trouble with gossip. And, and the rabbi said, okay, go. Uh, he said, I really need a chicken. So go to the market, buy me a chicken, and I want it totally plucked. And I need it quick, so hurry and go do it. So the guy goes, and he buys a chicken, and he plucks it as fast as he can and brings it back to the rabbi. And the rabbi says, okay, now go collect all the feathers. And the point being, when we gossip, uh, uh, verse 13, go about slandering, revealing secrets. Once it's spoken, it's like the chicken feathers. If you've ever plucked a chicken, you can't gather the feathers up. They're all over the place. Uh, uh, even live chickens, their feathers get all over the place. But once you pluck it, it's, it's, it's a fool's errand to try and gather the feathers together. And in the same way, once words are spoken... Okay, slandering, it reveals a secret, uh, uh, but he's who's trustworthy keeps the thing covered. Once the words um, are out, they're out. The cat's out of the bag. I guess that would be one of our modern proverbs on that. So words have power. They can wound. But going back to chapter 12, verse 18, there's good news as well. The one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. It's like the Mordor dagger. It's poisoned. And how do you cure it? Wise words, the tongue of wise words brings healing. Or, or, or I'm reading this wrong, aren't I? The tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, that the antidote to poisoning words is a wise tongue. Well-spoken words. It's the flip side. The tongue of the wise brings healing. We know this to be true. An encouraging word from a spouse or a parent can literally be life-giving. Okay, someone says, I'm proud of you. Well done. Good job. I saw you do that, and I'm proud of you. Those kinds of words can be life-giving, uh, breathe energy into us. 1225, a little bit farther down the page, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, and we know that to be true. Uh, if you're someone like me, that you're anxious, you stay awake at night worrying, that kind of stuff, uh, it weighs you down, but a good word makes him glad. Again, good words can be life-giving. Words have the power of life and death. Uh, one page over, chapter 15, verse 4, right at the beginning of chapter 15 there. Uh, actually, I'll read from the beginning, uh, 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 1 and 2 as well, but, but we'll, we'll save the reflecting on them for a bit. 15, 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool pours out folly. And then verse 4 is where I want to focus. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. 
Where have we heard, what, what's that phrase about? Where, where have we heard about a tree of life before? Yeah, Genesis 2. And actually in the Old Testament, Genesis 2 and Proverbs are the only two spots that talk about the tree of life. What's this getting at then? A gentle tongue, or um, that word gentle, it can maybe even more literally be a healing tongue, kinds of talking about that bring life, is a tree of life. What's it getting at? It's saying, uh, uh, it's, it's borrowing this imagery from Genesis 2, and it's saying wise words point the way back to Eden. Okay, what's Eden about? What's the point of the Garden of Eden? Yeah, fellowship with God. I love the way our kids' Bible puts it. The big tree. So wise words are pointing the way back to that. Harmony with God, restored relationship with God, and with neighbor. And we can even, I think, develop this a little bit more. How does God create in Genesis 1? He speaks. He also shapes and does other things, but he speaks. His words are creative. They give life. Uh, words have power. That's the point Proverbs is driving home here. It's saying just as God's words have power and he puts his tree of life in the middle of the garden, so wise words, healing words, in some sense mirror our creator. They bring order. They bring life. Uh, they're like a tree of life. But then the second part of verse 15, but perverseness in it, that is, in the tongue, breaks the spirit. Okay? Again, it brings us back to the first point. Words hurt, and they oftentimes come uh, what is it, uh, uh, from perverseness, from a um, uh, tree of life. Okay, rottenness in the tree leads to, uh, it breaks other spirits. The sense seems to be that... Um, Hurtful words come from wounded spirits, that kind of an idea here, um, that, uh, that we're wounded by words, and so then we use words in a way that wounds the opposite of the tree of life. So words have power. Chapter 18 tells us that they have so much power, in fact, that, 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 that life and death is in the tongue. And so then the call is to guard our mouths, we need to speak life-giving words. We need to avoid death-dealing words. But we also need to hear life-giving words. Okay? It's a fact about us. We need people to speak life into us. Uh, uh, Tim Keller, in his devotional book on Proverbs, uses the example of um, uh, if you're an artist and you're doing painting, um, and you just, you know, for years you keep doing painting, and everybody says they're garbage, there's no value to them, uh, to some extent, you're almost not even a real artist, and, and you can't sustain it. Eventually, eventually, you need someone from the outside to validate it and say, I see value in this, in this painting. Um, that, that's the way we are. We're relational beings, and we can't just sustain it on our own uh, in the face of, of nothing but negative, death-dealing words. We need life-giving words. Any thoughts? Sorry, we got some more questions here in a minute, but... Uh, Okay, let's flip back to chapter 13 then. Just go back a page. Uh, verses 2 and 3. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good. Okay, not only do words give life and death to others, but words benefit ourselves. Okay, the fruit of our mouth 
provides for us, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Verse 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his own life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Okay, up till now we've been reflecting that our words give life and death to others, but Proverbs also drives home the point that it means life or death for the speaker. Okay, if we use our words well, it can be life-giving to others, but it also, uh, from the fruit of our mouth, from the good labor uh, that we do with our words, we eat what is good. Okay? It creates good community around us. It creates good relationships. Uh, many of us in our jobs, we have to speak and speak kindly. Um, I'll pick on Nate because I know he can take it. If Nate is constantly name-calling and bullying to his customers at the bank, eventually he's going to be out of a job. He's got to speak kindly, gently, lovingly, okay? Even when people come in, they keep bouncing their checks. Uh, he, he's not condescending towards them. He's kind because they're the customers. In a very real sense, the fruit of our mouth, using our words well, is how uh, uh, we provide for ourselves. And then verse 3, it, it's a little bit more application. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. It's not just that our words can give life to others, but we preserve our life by not saying foolish things by not saying things we ought not to. But he who opens wide his lips, you know, you just open your mouth and whatever comes out, comes out, comes to ruin. 29.20 similarly speaks of hasty words. Okay, so words have power. That's the main point that we're getting out from Proverbs. But are there limits to words? Are there limits to our words? What do you guys think? Proverbs draws, draws attention to a few uh, uh, limits. If we just flip back forward to page 1423. Um, 1423, in all toil or hard work, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Okay, so uh, words are important. They have power, but they don't replace hard work. Okay, uh, we have an English proverb that, along these lines, talk is cheap, right? Um, you, can, you can talk all day, but it, at the end of the day, it doesn't get the work done. It's, it's not a replacement for hard work. Okay, so we've got a, um, another English proverb. We've got to put our money where our mouth is. Uh, words are important, but we've got to back it up with action. If we jump a ways ahead to, ch to chapter 26, uh, verses 23 through 28. It's a longer section. Uh, it drives home this point um, in a variety of ways. Not only are words not a replacement for hard work, but our words can't change the facts. Okay? We can try to spin things, but there is reality that our words can't change. Uh, 26 beginning in 23. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. I guess uh, you guys can ask Craig at dinner about glazing an earthen vessel, what that's all about. But, but uh, uh, fervent lips, it's trying to hide the evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips. Okay? They hate in their heart, but they try to disguise and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. 
A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Okay, there's flattering words. Uh, there's gracious speech, you know, sort of um, eloquent rhetoric. And it can get by for a while, but it's saying at the end, uh, uh, the deceptions will be exposed, the wickedness will be exposed in the assembly, and then it's got this little parable. Uh, if you dig a pit, eventually you're going to fall into it. If you start a stone rolling, it's going to actually roll back on you. Uh, it's saying if you, you, know, you can cover up what's really going on in your heart for a while, but eventually you'll be caught out and it will destroy you. And then a little bit later in 2919, by mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he responds, he will not, or though he understands, he will not respond. This idea of mere words, okay? Uh, you can hear the words I'm speaking. We can read the words of Proverbs. But that alone doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't force a response. Okay, the servant can hear his master correcting and yet ignore it. And so 17.10, and this is the last proverb for tonight, 17.10 tells us that we need to have the right sort of dis disposition if words are going to be effective for us. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Okay, the basic difference is not between the mode, words, or blows, but between the disposition of the person receiving them. Okay, a fool can get reprimanded or, or even beaten a hundred times and it doesn't lead the fool to change their ways. But someone with understanding, uh, rebuke goes deeper. Okay, a correcting word goes deep into them and a person of understanding receives it. And so we need to be people of understanding if we're going to receive words well. Yeah, Austin. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great comment. Um, we need to remember, and, and uh, we need to remember that proverbs are not—they're um, not promises, and they are wise words, but they're not one size fits all. Uh, and that's part of why the part we looked at last summer, Proverbs one through nine, spent so much time talking about being wise, because. Um, the individual Proverbs that come in chapter 10 through 31 can actually do damage if the person using them isn't wise. Um, so, uh, uh, just so, just so. Um, uh, yeah, okay, I, sorry, I was thinking of illustrations, but, but maybe, maybe it's just better to make the point, is that we need to know when to use which proverb. Um, uh, and, and this comes out most clearly, I think it's in chapter 22 or 23, back-to-back -back Proverbs. One says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you too 
be foolish by engaging in it. And obviously, they can't both be uh, universally applicable because they say opposite things. And so the wise person needs to discern, is this a case where I need to sh refute this foolish person uh, lest they think that they you know, know everything and, and, and you know, they need cut down uh, that sort of a thing? Or is it a case where I just need to keep my mouth closed and there's no point in engaging? Um, and, and likewise with these Proverbs, it's, um, I just finished in my devotional reading the book of Job, and the book of Job is all about, or the middle section, his friends speak a lot of true words, but in the wrong circumstance. Uh, showing up at, at, at your friend's children's funeral and saying, well, you know, all these kinds of true things about not being wicked, it's, out of, it's in the wrong situation. It, and so they do damage rather than good, even though they're objectively true. There needs to be wisdom in applying them. And so you're right that these are, um, uh, in a sense, a little bit, uh, yeah, we've got to figure out which applies to which circumstance. And so there needs to be some wisdom to, to weigh them. Yeah, Nate. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and to, to preview when we get to talking about parenting, um, a proverb that many of us learned, um, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he won't depart from it, is probably translated according, raise up a child according to their, way, to their nature, that children have different, you know, some children need a, a firm word is all they need to bring them to tears, other children uh, need uh, more firm consequences to follow on that, and wisdom means discerning in that in your children that not even all all of your children are the same that you need to discern um, what what each individual child needs in order to correct them so yeah, uh, using wisdom to apply these things yeah jack yeah yep um, okay well. Yeah, uh, are you raising your hand? Yep, yeah, Nate. Yeah. 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 And I, I bracketed out for next time. There's a lot of proverbs on specific things that should characterize our words, but, but one is, is the recurrent wor warning that our words should be few <laughs> because we don't speak perfectly. Uh, we don't, you know, and so uh, the more words there are, the more likely you're going to say things that you might regret, so be cautious. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, having, uh, uh, yep. Yeah, John. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that our inner character shapes the words we use. And so, um, yeah, and we'll come back to that from Matthew 12 uh, next time on words. If, uh, But w where I want to end then, and I don't want to shut down conversation too soon because this is valuable, but, but where I want to end is just reflecting words have power. Uh, words even in some sense reflect the creator. And so when we, when we reflect on these different proverbs, we've been hearing the importance of words and speech. It does, I think... Uh, uh, put John 1 into a new light, that how does John describe God's own son? He describes God's son as God's word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that that's um, what we need is God revealed through the perfect word that's spoken through speech and also through pattern of life that match up, the character, the inner heart, and the external words all match up, uh, and also that we see the power of the word to recreate. Um, and I suppose if I was a little bit more clever, I would have connected the cross and the tree of life and, and connected it all together. But I, I didn't, wasn't that clever ahead of time to <laughs> prepare that. But, but we see God's own son is described as his word, his powerful speech, uh, but also um, uh, his life-giving word that he speaks to the world in his son uh, to restore life to the broken. And so, so I think Proverbs, we need to keep it in context with that. And then, yeah, connecting to James has a lot to say on wisdom and, and the tongue uh, powerful, uh, like the rudder of a ship, like a little forest fire or a little fire that gets away, burns down the forest. Um, uh, uses those images there. Well, let's turn now to our time of prayer together.